0: A happy Father's Day. You're welcome, Trenton. And happy first day of summer. Praise the Lord for summer. Right? Remember winter? Mm. A vague, distant memory, veiled in a dark shroud. Because it was dark at 4:30. Um, today is also, uh, and this is—I I love that this co- corresponds to uh, Father's Day. Today is the 26th anniversary of the beginning of the Brownsville Revival. Yes. Now, wonderful. I don't want us to forget that. I think that there are um, seasons. Some of those seasons come back around, don't you? I think that we're ready for more. I'm ready for more. There is definitely, this is an aside, I'm going to do this briefly, but there is definitely an emphasis of the Holy Spirit in this house lately on pushing through to manifestation. And I don't think it's an accident. When you have prophetic leadership and you have apostolic leadership, sometimes the prophetic is seeing things that the apostolic hasn't defined or hasn't figured out how to apply yet because it's still vague. Right? But if you look in our worship, um, in our staff chapels, in our sermons, you could go back to the last 10 sermons. Each one of them is about presence. So the prophetic is beginning to reveal a picture that when it breaks through, the apostolic will steward. Uh, but it's happening. So don't, don't let that fall below your radar. That's good, right? That's good. <laughs> That's real good. That's the one. That's the thing we're waiting for again. A new one for a new generation. Um, Well, uh, briefly, I'm going to introduce myself because I suspect there are some of you who don't know me. I know. (laughs) Hey, I do know a lot of you, but Uh, my name is Mike Humphrey. I am the uh, small groups pastor here. Uh, I grew up in upstate New York, and I told the first service they can forgive me for that if they need to. Um, New York's a great place. It just has some issues right now. I know, I don't. yeah, um, <laughs> it's okay, um, I grew up so rural that Harrisburg is the biggest city I've ever lived in, just to give you an idea, there were more, and this is not an exaggeration by any means, there were more cows than people in my county, I mean, it was like 10 to 1, it was, like <laughs> and so now you know, <laughs> there's no taking that one back, now you know, um, I grew up about 60 miles south of Rochester, if you know where Rochester is, a dozen people know where Rochester is, um, and we, we literally describe it that way because it was the nearest thing. <laughs> that and the Finger Lakes, those are the nearest things. Um, Vinny is from Rochester, which explains why we look so alike, we're from the same area. <laughs> the, uh, if you get confused, the difference is he has more hair. Makes it real simple for you. Um, Liz and I began a spirit-led and, and somewhat adventuresome uh, journey of coming to Life Center about six years ago. Um, Andy and Lee played a part in that. I just saw them. Where are they? They're around. They're there. They are. Um, and I won't give you the long story, but the Lord, the Lord led us here um, in, in clear ways. Uh, we had no idea what it was, that it was going to end up looking like it looks right now. By the way, Liz, if you know you might, you, you might know who Liz is. She was singing... Right here, a few minutes ago. Yeah, you could actually, yeah. If I'm forever known as Liz's husband, let it be. It's like totally worth it, totally worth it. Uh, we have three kids. One of them is here, Cademan. He's our oldest. He's doing a little wave to me, but that's, that's okay. I know who he is. Nine times out of 10, I can pick him out of a lineup. Um, and we have a five-year-old girl named Hadassah and a three-year-old girl named Justice. Um, Hadassah is sort of the spitting image of me. She's very, very sensitive. Like, we, she'll confess since she didn't commit. You know? <laughs> I'll like, something'll go, go wrong and I come around the corner with a look in my eye and she'll be like, I don't know, I might have, did I? I don't know. <laughs> you know instant tears. <laughs> I'm like, oh, honey, I don't even think you did it. You probably didn't do it. I just suspect you didn't do it. And uh, her sister, Justice, is a force. She did it. <laughs> I promise she did it. Nine times out of 10, I'm like, nope, I know about you. She is um, a, a world leader in training. Uh, if, we, if we can manage her into controlling her own massive power, Uh, then she could run some country. We don't know where she's going. If we did know where she was going, we'd try to warn them. But there's nothing we can do about it at this point. (laughs) It's just in the Lord's hands. We're gonna let it be what it is. Um, My training is in biology, um, oddly enough, but it was actually not because I'm a scientific guy. It was because I met the Lord in the woods. That's where I would see him. So... mm. So I went into biology because I saw the beauty of the father um, in life and all that stuff. But this is where I am now. So you feel introduced? Okay, good, good. Pleased to meet you. We can shake hands and kiss babies later. Um, So it's Father's Day. We're going to talk about Father's Day because it's the day. And uh, there's always a temptation in the church, and even I think more broadly speaking in our culture in general lately, um, to go after the places where things are dysfunctional as though that's the only thing that's happening. Have you ever watched the news? Do you have a news feed on your phone? Um, Very little of what's going right makes the news, but most of the time what's going right is what's happening, right? So... um, I'm going to talk about fathers, and I know for some of you that's a sensitive area. That we're gonna, we're gonna start to talk about things that bring up negative memories or, or your less than ideal relationship with the father of your children or whatever it may be. Uh, and I wanna just sort of give you a preemptive strike. Um, aw, look, there's a father taking a child out right now. That was beautiful, I know, I feel like we should applaud. It's like, He's doing it. He's like the wife. I didn't even see the wife elbow him or anything. He just did it. That was. That's a good. That, that should be the sermon. And so the altar call, and then we go home. Um, no. Okay. Not too soon. Too soon. Um, so I want to give you sort of a preemptive strategy um, if this comes up as I talk. Okay. Um, the in the book of Revelation, in uh, chapter 12, verse 11. There's this famous oft-quoted passage, we overcome or they overcome the saints by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. And then it adds this addendum that is really heavy and they love not their lives unto death, right? Um, So the the blood of the lamb, I think, is pretty self-explanatory. It's Jesus' sacrifice. Um, The word of their testimony is also pretty self-explanatory. It's... The experience that we have right we carry some of the reality of the kingdom in us experientially we've gone through things with the Lord that's the word of our testimony uh, but that third component to overcoming I think is relevant to today's talk uh, the loving not your lives unto death the word lives there were three options he could have said by which would be the human the physical right he could have said Zoe which would be the spirit but he didn't he didn't say either of those he specifically said suke. Suke is the root word for psychology, for uh, for all those things that it's so if the if the bios is what sees, and the zoe is the thing that does the seeing inside of us, consciousness, right? The suke is how. Does that make sense? It's the filter through which all of that goes, your way of seeing, your psychology. Okay? Uh, So those three components build up to an overcoming believer, and we want to be overcomers, even in daddy issue world. We want to be overcomers, right? The problem is that for many of us, part of our testimony, our body of experience involves absent fathers or negligent fathers or just disconnected fathers or whatever it may be. And so when we talk about fathers in large groups, this comes up. Especially at church where we're already open, we're feeling vulnerable, right? Uh, but there's a trick, I'm going to teach you this trick, uh, to managing preempting disappointment in its effect on your capacity to overcome. Is that? Would you like to know that trick? It's a good one. It's a good one. Okay, good. Good. I saw several head nods. <laughs> Thanks for the feedback. That's good. I'll take it wherever I can get it. Um, so the trick is this. When somebody shares, I think a bubble just came out of my mouth, with... (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) If that got on the internet, I know it's on the internet, but I feel like that's like the thing that heresy hunters are looking for charismatics. I should have been like, it was an angel bubble. (laughs) (laughs) File that one away, you know. Um, the, The trick is in that middle phase. The word of your testimony. It is our body of experience, but when we hear somebody else's testimony, without having gone through it, it becomes part of ours. Does that make sense? Somebody tells us about their healing, suddenly we have faith for healing. We may not have even experienced it, but suddenly we've built faith. Because their testimony in its sharing became a part of our experience that makes it our testimony too. I'm going to tell some good stories about fathering. If you start to feel something rise up, I want you to take my story as part of your own because we're interacting. Our realities are interacting. And then I want you to love not the way that you see unto death, this means that sometimes we get into this, this situation where we have perspectives, ways of thinking that we're so married to that we won't divorce them even when they're killing us. Okay? If you partner right now with your soul, and you, we're going to do this out loud in a minute, not to love the way you see unto death, then when I share these testimonies, they won't hurt you, they'll help you. Would you prefer that outcome? Yeah. Okay, so let's do this. And we'll all do this so that nobody's feeling weird because they're the one doing it. Just close your eyes and put your hands like this. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you right now to rewrite our actual story. We welcome you right now to dethrone the ways that we think when they're contrary to the work you're seeking to achieve in us. We love not our lives unto death. And we give you permission to heal where the pain has at times been a focus. We give you permission to move us forward when sometimes standing still is comfortable. And we receive a new mind the renovation of the Holy Spirit. So I bless you guys to receive in peace and in wholeness unto the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Is that good? Okay. Oh my gosh, who said that? Somebody said, there's a, yeah, there's a Father's Day video. <laughs> I forgot about it. It's really good too. So I don't want to, my son's even in it. It'd be really bad if I didn't play it. Um, he'd be like, dad, what were you, what were you doing, man? So yeah, we'll take, this is a, this is a, what was it, a a bookmark? Okay, we'll do a bookmark because we have this amazing media team. Uh, Have you noticed that all the digital media around here has gone through the roof in quality lately, right? That's one of those thankless jobs. Those guys actually hate when we mention them, but they're amazing, and they're doing a great job, so I'm mentioning them. So enjoy the video. Go ahead and play that video. I'm so glad somebody said something. it out of the park. I feel like we should applaud extra long. (laughs) Thank you, guys. It's true. We do want to be like our dads. Okay. Uh, I'm going to start in... Why don't I start in John 5, 19, uh, 19 and 20. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. So we understand And there were lots of other places I could have gone with that because it occurs many times in Scripture. But we understand that Jesus is the revelation of the Father. Is that correct? Okay. So we're going to look at one of these unique interactions between the Father and the Son where we get to see both sides of the story. Most of the time when this happened, it happened privately, but there are several examples of it happening where we saw both sides of it. So we're going to look at one of those, understanding two things, one, that That father is our father, so we can just take that as it is. Uh, But I I really want specifically to address natural fatherhood, the human fathers in the room, um, the fathers-to-be, and even just spiritual fathers, the men who are grabbing people and raising them, whether or not they are responsible for them on paper, right? Sometimes we get really theoretical, and we start to have ideas that don't translate into reality. And I think in the charismatic church, that sort of manifests itself in idealism. We think that if we get enough revelation, everything will go perfectly and go smoothly. Well, look, if you're a father, um, you know there's never gonna be enough revelation, (laughs) right? (laughs) It's never gonna go smoothly and perfectly just because you worked it out. Um, And so I wanna draw a distinct, discreet connection uh, between the work of the Father exemplified in his relationship with Jesus and human fathering, okay? So as we go through this, I want you to be tracking with me in, in that sort of parallel lane. Um, so let's, let's read the sort of the main chunk of scripture that I'm gonna work off of. This is Matthew 3, 16 uh, through four, verse 11. It says this, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove And coming to rest on him. Note that it doesn't say anybody else saw it. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And again, no notation that anybody else heard that. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written... Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. I'm going to make a couple of points here and I want you to... Perceive them all through those dual tracks. So I'm going to tell a story with each one. Uh, So the first point is this. The Father leads us by the Spirit. And in parentheses, by implication, so we can trust him. Okay? Um, When I first started to read these first two verses, uh, Matthew 4, 1, first two verses of chapter 4, it says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Uh, I I began to research it and just think through what that verse meant and what kind of stuff the Lord was trying to communicate through it. Um, And I stumbled across an internet debate. Uh, And again, the question I asked the first service was, is there anything that exists on the internet that exists in reality? I don't know. But um, somewhere in somebody's mind, this question um, bears some sort of elaboration because there were a lot of theological opinions about this. Did Jesus get led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, or did he get led into temptation? Okay. I initially read this, and I thought, well, I'll let them sort of meet the Lord themselves and get their answer and just move on. I wasn't even going to bring that up. But I think considering the context of today's conversation, I think it's actually really important to address this. Um, That question is a total non-issue for me. It is absolutely worthless. And I'll tell you why. Because I've seen the Father. That question needs to know because it doesn't know who it's asking about. It betrays its mistrust. The very nature of the question. How was he drawn out? Was it unto temptation? Was God being good? Was he good by my standard? Was he the kind of good I hope he is? It's an ultimatum, fundamentally. What if he's not the kind of good you hope he is? He is. He's far more than you can imagine. But what's the alternative in that question? Like we're going to disqualify him? Maybe we cancel God? (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Somebody got it. Thank you. Right? No way. That question and many, many, many others, along with many, many, many sources of pain from personal history and, and, and failure and all of those things, disappear at the feet of the Father. They disappear at the feet of the Father. And in our stream, we get criticized sometimes because we seek experiences and I understand the criticism, sometimes things get wild, but I would rather err in that direction because I've experienced the change that occurs when you come face to face with a supernatural encounter with God. I have had so many breakthroughs to questions I didn't even know I was asking. So many places where I had no idea pain was informing my instincts or my decisions where it just melted away and I left an encounter different than I came to it, not even knowing what I was seeking, because I sought first the kingdom, right? So I thought, well, I'll just kick the hornet's nest. <laughs> I'll just mention it because it matters, right? It matters because Jesus knows all of this. Jesus is not concerned about whether or not his Father is good. Or has good intentions. And Jesus isn't judging God's behavior. So when he's led out into the desert, I don't care why. And I don't care how. I don't even care unto what. Because we're trusting the leading of the Spirit. It was the Spirit that did the leading. It wasn't vague. It wasn't ambiguous. The Holy Spirit can communicate perfectly. If he needs your attention, he will get it. Right? So Jesus trusted the leading of the spirit even when it took him to the wilderness. Here's how I know that. When Jesus got to the wilderness, he didn't rebuke the wilderness. He rebuked the tempter. How many of us would have rebuked the wilderness? I would have. I'm sure I would have. Right? This is, there's no way this is God's will for my life. I've worked too hard for this. I've stayed holy, is this the price I pay? We all become a martyr, some sort of self-focused weirdo. Right? I've got a calling, I've got a destiny, get out of my way, difficulty. (laughs) Right, we start the, I can't, I better. (laughs) Nope. Some hips do lie, turns out some hips do lie. (laughs) These saddlebags, more, Lord. That <laughs> oh, it just it seems edgy. Um, <clears throat> Jesus trusted the Father, so in the middle of this wilderness, he knew what to address. He knew how to address it. And I'm grateful he did, because here's what was the inevitable outcome, and I believe that in all of our lives, and if I had time, I'd go into this, uh, that this is the inevitable outcome of those kinds of encounters. He was led by the Spirit into a wilderness that the Father knew he was prepared for. And that season thrust him into his destiny. The Jesus that came out of that wilderness was not the Jesus who went in. And you can debate the theology about how much Jesus knew and how much he needed to discover. I don't, again, I don't care. I've seen the man. Questions answered. But we know... He went in as a local carpenter's boy and in the verses immediately following this Matthew four, 12 through 17, Jesus begins his ministry for 18 to 22. He begins to gather his disciples for 23 to 25. Jesus is ministering to the masses. So the first thing that we see the father doing in relationship to Jesus in this passage. Is leading him by the spirit, and that causes Jesus to trust. So the um, the other side of all of these points is the story side. I have these personal stories I'm going to tell, um, and they're they're me and my dad. They're they're uh, they're very normal, you know, in a sense. And um, the reason I chose these is because I think again, sometimes we get ideals in our head that seem unachievable, and they're actually debilitating. Uh, my dad is super normal. He's awesome. I think he's awesome, but he's super normal. If you met him, you wouldn't think he was Elijah or something. Um, I mean, you might. He's, he's quite the looker. But, um, but I want to continue to elucidate this connection between how the Father loved Jesus and what real men can do here on earth, okay? And it's going to come back again and again to the leading of the Spirit. So I was, and I could—I should have thought about this between services. I think I was between 13 and 15. I don't know, somewhere in there. Um, I was a a younger end teenager, and um, <clears throat> I had—I had, as one does, begun to notice the ladies. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> I was—I um, had also noticed that. So this is maybe context to that. I had also noticed that my friends had begun to think their parents were all idiots. Do you guys? I was gonna say, do you remember that? Maybe, you may, maybe you're there, I don't know. But um, there was a time when suddenly I was like, oh, wow, that's interesting. His dad's an idiot, his dad's an idiot, her dad's an idiot. They just tell you, you know, my dad's an idiot. You're at lunch or something at school. And, uh, and so I thought, wow, that's an interesting thing. I, I had no, my, I didn't think my dad was an idiot. <laughs> I thought he was awesome. Uh, but I liked this girl. So I thought, I'll go talk to my dad, right? So I went to him and I said, hey, you know, this is the girl. I'm thinking about her. And um, Both my parents knew knew the family, knew her well. and They said, well, here's the deal. We love her. We think she's great. Also, by way of warning, we see this and this and this. And uh, I bet in a year or two, this and this and this will turn into that and that and that. And it will be worse. Just, to, you know, buyer beware, right? So... I thought to myself, everybody, else, everybody else's parents are idiots. Maybe mine are too. <laughs> Never struck me as idiots before. So I, uh, I did a little bit of quick math, and I thought, well, I could wait a year or two. Just put their idea to the test, right? They made a judgment statement, and they put a timeline on it. Let's just see if they're idiots. We could do a scientific examination for idiocy, <laughs> right? <laughs> I didn't have a control group. I don't know what I was thinking, but uh, maybe my other friends' parents were the control group. They probably were. Um, so, year and a half, two years later, every single thing they said that they saw had indeed gone the direction that they said it was going to go. Right? So I drew a line in the sand in my heart. And I said, look, my parents aren't idiots. <laughs> they're, they're not idiots. Um, and... And I made a decision that, that still governs my relationship with my parents and still governs my relationship with certain uh, parental people in my life. Uh, the goal is to understand, mutual understanding, right? So if we're disagreeing over a miscommunication or a misunderstanding, then we have whatever difficult conversation we need to have to get to where we know we have spoken clearly and we know we've been heard right we've said what we mean and they heard what we said if at that point we still disagree they win that's the rule because a father is by definition someone who knows things you can't know someone who's seen things you can't see who's done things you could not have possibly experienced in your short little time right a father is a head and you get to rebel. That's, of course that's your option. But then you're the idiot. Right? <laughs> that's a dumb move. That's a dumb move. So I bring that all up because when I was talking to my parents about this girl, they, they didn't say, now hang on, Mike, let's go fast, and we're going to pray, and thus saith the Lord, and here's, uh, you know, here's a King James version of an answer. It was none of that at all. In fact, I don't think they knew that they were totally correct when they said, here's what we think is gonna happen. But there was a moment that was divinely orchestrated to teach my heart what Jesus was learning here so that I could learn to trust. How's your soul, you doing all right? You telling it what to think? Good. There was a moment that was divinely orchestrated And if my parents had tried to work up to it, it probably wouldn't have been good. But they just stayed full, and they tripped over the revelation and kept going. They were operating in the Holy Spirit, whether they knew it or not. Okay. So fathers and mothers, parents of both types, we can do this. We don't have to be perfect. Perfect. We can do this, okay. So, the Father leads us by the Spirit, and we can trust him, okay. Second, the Father's love is enough. I know it sounds cliche. The Father's love qualified, preserved, and sustained Jesus. And those aren't random choices for words. In uh, chapter four, verse two, The tempter uh, brings provision, the question of hunger, right? Jesus' response is the sufficiency of the Father. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth forth or comes from the mouth of God, right? The next temptation is safety. says, again, throw yourself down, the whole thing. And uh, Jesus' response points back to the Father, He says, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. What's the deductive conclusion there? That God is trustworthy. So the father's sufficiency and then the father's trustworthiness. And then the third temptation is essentially significance. I'm borrowing these from Maslow's hierarchy. I'm sort of consolidating the way that Satan tempted him into that. Significance, right? If you are the Son of God, he says to him again. Again, the devil, all these kingdoms, that whole deal, bow down and worship me. What's he say? He says, you sh- For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. When the question of significance arose, Jesus referred back to the Father's worthiness. He's worthy. He's worthy. And this point, I love the irony of this, this point actually came from my dad, um, yesterday on a phone call. It wasn't God's wisdom or power that allowed Jesus to overcome the tempter. It was his love. It was his love. I was like confused, I was working through this idea and I was like, I'll call my dad, it's about Father's Day. And he goes, oh, I think what you're trying to say is this. He's right. (laughs) <laughs> let's go back to uh, Matthew 3 16, 17 and when Jesus was baptized immediately he went up from the water and behold the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him and behold a voice from heaven said this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased we want to solve problems with wisdom or with power but the father equipped Jesus with love, and it was enough. The father's love was enough. And there, again, there's a, some theological debate on this, but there's no mention of anybody hearing the voice or seeing the dove. Um, it's recorded, but it sounds as though it could have just been Jesus told them this is what happened. Right. <clears throat> and we know in other cases, like when Saul of Tarsus was on the ground, they kind of heard a voice, but they couldn't tell what it was saying, or maybe it was thunder or something like that. Right. <clears throat> I, my theory doesn't, this is just me, is that the father did that for Jesus specifically as preparation for what he was going into. That in hindsight, when Jesus taught about it, he said, well, you know, when I came up out of the water, I heard the approval of the Father, and it carried me. Just my opinion. Although it's actually pretty popular, I discovered, again on the internet, which don't believe everything you read. All right, so I have a, another personal story here, and I'm going to try to keep this one brief. Um, 2020, remember that? <laughs> Woo! That was a doozy. 2021 has been sort of a hybrid, doozy and recovery, right? Um, For us as a family, 2020 was a terrible year. And I won't, I'm not trying to like milk this, so I won't, I won't. But it was a terrible year. I almost died. Um, We had a really aggressive bear problem at our house. Um, For months, like a real problem, a little Volkswagen wandering through our yard that wouldn't run away when we came up to it. Um, that problem went away. Do the math. We, um, so we, (laughs) we, (laughs) we got sick, you know, we had, we had all sorts of stuff go on. Literally everything that could go wrong seemed to go wrong. Um, we, our marriage got stronger. Our family got stronger and I started working here. Those were the three things that (laughs) I was like, oh God, those were the three things that we held on to, to believe we were going to live till tomorrow. Uh, everything else i mean and i said this over and over and over again it was statistically improbable how much went wrong i mean it really was it really really was and so we would sort of take turns trying to keep each other afloat emotionally it just went okay sometimes we were both sinking so it didn't <laughs> then we'd grab somebody but it worked it worked we we feel like we're coming up for air now so thank god um but it never occurred. I'm the kind of guy who goes, "What dumb thing did I do?" I don't tend to look for some demon hiding out. Um, I don't want to give him that much credit, and I, I, you know, I want to make sure that I'm doing everything right. So it took me a long time to get into this. Like, maybe this is too much to just be our own stupidity. Uh, but finally, I started to think, "This is pretty bad. This is like way more than it makes sense." Um, should be happening. So I, uh, I started to entertain the possibility that there was some sort of a test going on. <laughs> Long after Ann suggested that I entertain this possibility. Long after. And you were right. You were right, yeah. Um, so I, was, I remember walking up the stairs to my house, and just the word testing kind of dropped into my consciousness, and I was like, yeah, maybe that is this. Maybe that really this is what's going on. Um, and everybody else in the world was like, duh. You know. But I, so it occurred to me, and I, we were kind of in a hurry, so I didn't say anything to Liz or anybody. I just went in the house. Uh, but in this season, we were calling my parents pretty regularly and just crying while they prayed for us. You know, so um, we this was a night when we did that. So we put the kids to bed. We called my parents, and normally my parents are like really like ah, oh, you know, they're like really sweet. And so we told them all the things that were going wrong that week. Uh, which you know was like a normal year for somebody. And and there was this pause and I expected some sweet something. My dad goes, Hmm. Everybody's faith gets tested. You'll pass. And I thought, oh, there's that word tested. He never says that. He never talks that way. We never even it was like as far from my mind as it was, it was probably that far from his up until then. But the word stood out to me, right? So they prayed, we cried. I still haven't said anything to Liz or anything about that, um, that moment that it dropped into my consciousness. I went up, the girls were asleep, Cademan was awake, I went up to his bed, and he's been um, reading through the, the Lewis books again, the, the Narnia series, and he said, Dad, I, I had a thought. Um, you remember when they're about to go into the dark aisles, and they look at each other and they say, I have a feeling that we're all about to get tested. And I'm like... Okay, all right. Third time should be a charm, but it was half a charm, right? So I'm walking down the stairs, and I'm sort of reeling from having heard this a third time in about two hours. And the Lord says to me, no, 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 they're all close. But you test something to find out if it's true. I'm not testing you, I'm proving you. You prove something because it's true. This is the Holy Spirit empowering very average people. Two very average dads, me and myself. Me <laughs> little <laughs> 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 ah, well, yep, Me and my dad, who is like me. Uh, we used to say that he was a chip off the old block. Uh, it's the other way around. But the Father's love is enough. The way he said that to me revealed to me that he was caring for me in the trial. And that was all I needed to know. Good? Okay. Last point. Jesus' experience of the Father can be our experience of the Father because of the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the theme throughout all of this, right? Luke 24, 49 says, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Philippians 1.19 calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Acts sixteen seven says the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them to travel to Bithynia. Um, Galatians 4, 6 says, you Gentiles have become children of God because of the Spirit of his Son in you. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, and we can experience His relationship with the Father through the same Spirit that raised Him from the dead. I have one more story. Is that okay? That was weak. That was one more. Can I do one more? Anna approves, so I'm doing it, no matter what you say. Um, <clears throat> one of the sort of high water marks of 2020 came early, um, I think January. Um, I had a thyroid storm, a thyrotoxic crisis, uh, if you're familiar with the lingo. Um, what it means is that my thyroid essentially tried to kill me. Um, it, it dumped too much of the stimulant hormone. It, it controls every system in your body, just metabolic process, right? So it dumped too much of the stimulant hormone into my system, like 24 hours' worth in about 11 minutes. And so what happens to that stimulant hormone is it just gets used as fast as possible. There's no neutralizing it once it's in you. So my body did 24 hours' worth of stuff in that time frame. So I was asleep. My resting heart rate at the time was in the low 40s. I woke up with my heart racing easily 150s. I thought I was going to die. Then, like a dummy, I thought, I'll just, I'll sleep it off. <laughs> Liz didn't allow that. I went to the hospital. It was a good call, Liz, um, as many of your calls are. So I'm, I'm getting ready to go to the hospital, thinking I might die, and um, <clears throat> I call my dad. I thought, well, I'll call my dad. I'll have him pray. So I call him, and I said, Dad, I, I'm going to the emergency room. I think I'm having a thyroid storm. Um, I knew just enough to say that because I had been thinking about it. And he said, oh yeah, yeah, you are. I was like, okay. He said, actually, I started praying for your thyroid two weeks ago. The Lord woke me up and told me to start praying for your thyroid. Now this thing that happened to me, I have to say this because the ended making me say it, kills most people. Um, the doctor was shocked actually that I, I made it to the ER. And by the time I got there, my heart rate was descending and I was feeling better. I was going to ask to go home because uh, I'm a dummy. And he uh, he goes, actually, if this happens again, you're going to die for sure. Uh, it's amazing you survived. So I'm talking to my dad. He knows this. He somehow knew this was coming prophetically. And he says, by the way, I um, I just finished writing our family history. And I have a hundred years of miracles without which you wouldn't be alive. I'll send it to you. Just read it. He said, You need faith. You're not going to die. He's totally calm. He said, I don't think the Lord did all that to let you die in your 30s. He didn't prepare that stuff because I was having a thyroid storm. He prepared that stuff because he was being a faithful steward. And if you met him right now, based on my description of him, you might be like, oh, right? But he's average. He's like me. He's like you. And this is possible for us. Because this is how the father loved the son. And the son left his spirit. So we can do this. Why don't you stand? A lot of times in, in, in church and in other kind of social circumstances lately, the squeaky wheel gets addressed, but the, the faithful just never get anything. Um, but today I felt a real distinct uh, burden for the fathers like mine doing a great job. I bet you don't feel like you're doing a great job. I bet you're fixated on whatever thing went wrong or the one thing you regret because you're a good father and you want to do better. Of course you're fixated on that stuff. But I think there's an anointing this morning to break off shame, disappointment, disappointment, Ridiculous cultural expectations about soft masculinity that can't make decisions and won't lead, runs from things instead of to them. Doesn't take a stand. I think that there's an inversion happening. God's calling men to be fathers like he is. And I think there's a grace for it here. In fact, I believe, and Chandi mentioned this, and it was, it was confirmation. Um, I was woken up this morning, and I, I hate giving these kinds of stories because it sounds so weird, but um, I had an angelic visitation this morning, um, and I know that there are angels here that have solutions for the problems that not just plague us, we all have problems, persistent problems, but for the men in this room who deal with shame, with fear, with anxiety, hesitation, indecision, intimidation, all of these things that this culture at the moment has leveled against masculinity. I believe there are angels here with solutions in hand, I think we'd be crazy to pass up the opportunity to interact with that solution. So I'm going to call you to the front if this is something that you want prayer for, and we're going to come through and pray for you. So men, and you may be a father, you may be wanting to be a father, you may just be a spiritual father. If you are dealing with those things, if you're facing intimidation, if you're concerned about criticism, if you feel as though the thing you were made to be is something that you can't aspire to because of expectations in the culture around you, because of your own past, whatever it may be, I want you to come forward and get prayer. And I want to give you the freedom to do so without shame. Guys are the type who won't come forward for these things. I think that's crazy. But that's because I have a good dad who I would call and ask for help. Right? But we know the love of the Father, we know that there is a place for imperfect husbands and fathers. To trip over the intentions of the Holy Spirit and to execute the will of God and to bring the kingdom to earth without being perfect. So, all we're asking is for the love of the Father to wash over us, change how we see. Remember the suke how we see. And if you're left and you have other things you want prayer for, of course, come up in a little bit here, but I want to address this specifically. Go ahead and just put your hands like this. Father, we receive your love. Father, we receive your love. We receive the affirmation of who you made us to be. And we receive the kindness that would allow us to be conduits of the kingdom of heaven, regardless of our perfection. And we move forward. We come and we ask you, Holy Spirit, would you come into our hearts, into our lives, would you come in a unique way, in an expression here and now that is unique to our experience, that rewrites our history, that rewrites our sense of self, that changes the way we see. Would you lead us out of shame, out of fear, out of depression, out of anxiety into boldness, into confidence, into joy, into the eager anticipation of the expectation of a positive outcome. Would you lead us into faith? Would you make us men that carry the heart of the Father? All right, if you're on the ministry team, would you come up and just work your way through and just start praying for people? Yeah, guys, come on forward so there's some room behind you. And if you're here and you want prayer for anything else, by all means, come forward. We'll pray for you. All right, if you're not coming forward, I'm just gonna bless you. Um, I don't wanna keep you from the kids and all that stuff. I I know it's a big day, so. um, Father, I thank you that everybody who's here was here on purpose. I thank you that you have intents and purposes that are for health and for wholeness, for the restoration of the body and the mind, and that you intend to steward us all into a further understanding and experience of the Father's love. So I ask that as we go today, you would wash over us with a baptism of the love of the Father, that none of us would leave with an incomplete picture of the love that you have for us, but that we would instead be drowning, totally immersed, completely flooded with the reality of the love that you have, that sustained Jesus, that's sustaining us. And I ask that you'd bless the day, that you'd bless the fathers, that you'd bless even our understanding of fathers as we go out today. So if you're you're good, you don't need prayer, I bless you and you're going. Don't forget to get your kids. Have a wonderful day. See you Wednesday. If you're a male, come to the guys' night out. It's gonna be really good. It's literally for you. Um, Bless you guys as you go. Thank you.